Amen. Good morning. Great to have you here with us this morning. All you who are with us here physically and uh, those that are joining us online, welcome. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I did want to point out our new addition to our sanctuary, our map, mm-hmm. if you didn't notice. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a, a thing of prayer. I think I've been wanting to do that for, man, a few years now. And finally had the opportunity to get one ordered and get it up there. It took me about four hours to put it up. Uh, simply because of the glue, the tape stuff was a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> I have to admit, you know, I, I'm not like, I don't walk in a... Well, let's just put it this way. At the, toward the end of the fourth hour when I was doing it, I was getting down to some of the small islands, and there was a couple islands that nearly flew across the room because I could I was like, okay, patience, Matt. Breathe. It's okay. Solomon Islands needs to be on the map. Bless the Lord. But there were a few islands I did not include because I just gave up, and they're on my desk. But you probably won't notice that Cyprus isn't there. But it is a blessing. It is to remind us of our overseas family and the world that what we do here uh, goes further than what we just do here in Grandview, Missouri. Uh, We are affecting the world and we have a part. We have family members that live overseas and we pray for them regularly. And this just reminds us of Jesus's heart for the world. And so it's just fun to have that up there. Hopefully the glue sticks and it doesn't fall off the wall, but That'll be fun. <clears throat> oh, by the way, it's also, it's made in the Ukraine, which I thought was kind of cool. Actually made and shipped from there, so well, that was kind of cool. Bless the Lord. So speaking of Ukraine, we have some guests with us this morning. Uh, Ruslan, do you want to come on up? So... If you, heard, if you hear someone mumbling in the back and people with phones up to their head, uh, they're not listening to a sports forecast, they're listening to a translation. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good. We have known each other, oh, man. Five years? Yeah, something like that, brother. So Ruslan pastors a church here in town and uh, we've been able to assist uh, with a, a lot of uh, people that have been moving over recently, and I want to just let him introduce because they want to greet us this morning. Is that okay? That's perfect. You know this guy speak Russian, right? A little bit. He's worked for KGB or? Maybe. <laughs> My mom thought so. And I know his wife was speaking Russian too. So they told me when, when they tried to discuss something so their daughter don't understand, they switch in Russian and she like Lewis. Uh-huh. <laughs> Worked every time. <laughs> uh, we just chowing up there with Ukrainian and Russian. We realized taking a break in the middle of the service uh, and have a free coffee, you have a hard time to get them back. I, know. <laughs> I saw you back there and I saw you look at me and go, oh, I need to hurry. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to grab the coffee because the line's so big. Oh, well, we can go in there. That's okay. That's okay. I just want to introduce for you guys the friends we have here. I have my family here, my wife and my parents and my sister and her family. So if you can stand up, I just want to kind of show how many of them here. Oh, they're having free coffee, right? That's my wife there and... And we have still not everybody here because of the free coffee, but anyway. (laughs) I have uh, three cousins here from Ukraine, my cousins. When the war started, we brought them here. That's uh, that's my auntie, Nina. Uh, That's my auntie, it's my mom's sister, and that's my oldest, uh, one of the oldest cousin brother. Uh, and he have five kids, and Kostya is the youngest here uh, of his family. He's, his wife not here today. She is not feeling well, but 
also the friends uh, they have from Ukraine. And also we have uh, Russian families here too, fleeing from Russia as well. That's my cousin's sister right there by my wife, is her husband and a little baby, and their friends. And the Ukrainian descendant missionary working in Russia, but they feel to move this way for safety. So you know what I've realized, and then I want to uh, let uh, Kostya to come and speak a little bit, and thank you guys. What I realized through all the circumstances start going to happen in Ukraine, <clears throat> I just want to read the verses from Bible, uh, John 13, and it says in chapter uh, 13, verse 34, the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you might love one another and 31st or 35th verse says by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another when i realize how big the family of god is i just want to throw you picture on that map i just want to show you something when war start happening many people not feel safe and they they willing to run run just to the west here's what i find out when i talk to kostya he was second pastor in the church he says the most of the people who flee it's the christians you know why because even if you don't have anybody somewhere on the other side of the world, it is somebody who knows somebody that knows somebody that knows Jesus. <laughs> That's the family of God. And what I want to say, we never know what's going to happen here. But if we are family of God, doesn't matter if we're Russian or Ukrainian or Americans, it is a huge family of God. We'll be known by this world. We'll be witnesses to this world. To Jesus Christ. And people actually in a, in a hardship of the time. Remember the 9-11? All our churches was full. I was have a video. I think last Sunday. From Ukraine. From one of the city being so bombed, so, so occupied by the Russian soldiers, everything was kind of masked. People standing on the line to get to the church by miles. By miles. What I realized... When first church has a really good time and spend with each other together and then the persecution came they thought it's over but that was actually the beginning of the church to spread around the roman empire and pastor matt was in russia for seven eight years in 90s that was the time when ukrainian flee to russia my parents one of the missionaries as well it was only 29 churches in Soviet Union time. 29 churches in five years was over 1,000 churches. And right now, over 10,000 churches. And 70% of those pastors are Ukrainian. And right now, we just, I was on the phone a couple of days ago last week with pastors from all over the place, and they've been talking about, one of the pastors says, I was in Ukraine, I was pastor in church, I also have a business to pay my bills, and I have so many plans. And then he says, right now, I'm in Switzerland. And when I asking Lord what I'm doing here, he met me with one of the pastor of the church, and he says, we've been praying. For eight years, that some missionary will come to Switzerland, to our town, to preach the gospel, not secular church, not secular Bible, but the preach clean, pure Bible. And he says, I realize. And he says, now we're doing so many events in Germany. 
in all of the Europe and all Ukrainians right now, everywhere in Europe, Europe becomes so secular. So God using his church. It's not about politics. It's about how God will bring his family together to meet Jesus Christ. And we as a bride of the bridegroom will meet him together. So that's my message to you. Very simple. People will run in to look for Christians, for God, for, for love. And that's where we are. Let be those people. Amen. You want me to translate? The first thing I want to say is thank you. Богу за то, что мы здесь. Он благословил наши семьи. Благословил через очень-очень много людей. Через вашу церковь вы очень много помогаете нам. You, you have helped us in so many ways. It's very important for us. We value it greatly. It was a very big help in the very beginning of when we got here. When the war began, we didn't know what we would do. Мы хотели оставаться в Украине. Но пришла первая ночь. И объявили воздушную тревогу. Мужчинам немножко легче. Но женам и детям было очень сложно. Они провели много времени в погреб. Пришел второй день. Мы думали, что может быть все остановится. Но я видел, что моя жена, она уже на грани. Oh, she was on the edge in Nagrania. Okay, yeah, she was on the edge. Мы вышел в Украине закон. В Украине вышел закон. Oh, there was a law that was passed or it was brought about in the Ukraine. Что мужчины не могут выезжать. The men are not able to leave the country, the border. И на третий день. So on the third day. Я понял, что надо ехать. До границы с Польшей. И моя жена была уже готова поехать, чтобы перевести только детей и остаться там. Все это время мы говорили с нашими друзьями, а это соседи наши, Италии. И Паша, это мой брат. И мы приняли решение ехать. Мы не знали, что будет дальше. Мы просто поехали. Поехали, даже не знали, куда мы будем ехать. Много было неизвестного. Но Господь устроил все. Через разных людей, которые просто в очереди среди тысяч машин подходили к нам. И приглашали, чтобы взять детей на ночь переночевать. Бог благословлял нас. Бог положил, когда мы переехали в Польшу, Бог положил на сердце нашему брату Руслану. Что нам нужно переехать в Америку. Но мы не знали, как это сделать. 
Бог устроил и здесь все. But God put everything in place. И знаете, что я вам скажу? What, please know, I, I want to tell you this. I want to communicate this to you. Бог всегда дает вовремя. God always gives on time. Бог всегда дает сколько нужно. God, дает сколько нужно. God always gives exactly what's needed. Когда мы начали свой путь, у нас не было денег. Поехала первая группа, только на них было. Поехала первая группа, были деньги для них. Пришло время ехать нам, и Бог благословил. Бог, Он сильный. Сейчас здесь у нас есть достаточно много всего. И мы благодарны Богу. Мы вместе с семьями. Мы вместе с друзьями. Но много людей осталось в Украине. Много людей осталось там, где... Война. A lot of people remain there where the war is. И они нуждаются в Божьей благодати. They need God's grace. Бог использует церковь для того, чтобы благовествовать, говорить слово, проповедовать. И это сейчас очень сильно. And this is happening very strongly or greatly. Только церковь, только христиане. Only the church, only Christians. Готовы идти и делать. Only the church and only Christians are are able and prepared to go forth and do this. Слава Богу за это. Praise God for that. Слава Богу. Praise God. Спасибо. So thank you so much. I just want to give you kind of idea. When what is it? 25, 26 people arrive here. Uh, 18 from Ukraine and 8 from Russia. At that time, I know how much money do we need. And I know it's a lot. And I know I do not have it. Right. But you know what? Through the Christians, mm -hmm. through the churches here in Kansas City, we have some churches come on board. When I calculate all of the money, the flights, the, the food, the, the clothing, the mattresses, everything, Rent houses, I mean, rent houses, cars, it was over $50,000. Wow. I would never have that money, but God has it. Right, right. Blessings. Amen. Well, we're honored to have been a part, and we'll continue to be a part of that. And uh, anytime you want to give toward helping out, uh, just market Ukraine, and that way we'll know what, what to do with it specifically. Uh, but we'll continue to be a part and continue to help as long as we need to. It is our honor. Whew, i I got to reorientate my brain. <clears throat> Give me just a second. If you've never had a chance to experience a church service where, uh, or be at a birthday party or a church service where everyone is different than you, I highly recommend it, uh, just to know what it's like to be in a different culture. It, it'll change your perspective on a lot of things. It's, it's highly valuable. Go on a mission trip, go down to Latin America. It's one of the easiest places to get to and sit in an all-Spanish service where you uh, don't know what to do. There is a couple stages when you move to a foreign culture. The first stage is what I would call kind of like baby stage. It's where you can't do anything for yourself. It's very humbling. Everything is new. You don't know where to find anything. You don't know how to communicate your needs. All you can do is kind of cry. <laughs> and, uh, but you do get through it. And about, uh, for, for us, I, different languages are different ways. I know my, my siblings lived in uh, 
Costa Rica for six months during high school, each of them a year, and within six months they were fluent in Spanish, you know, could understand. It's because the language is so much closer. If you go to a language that's completely different than yours, it can take considerably longer. Also your age and, and different factors like that. For us, when we moved to Russia, it was a good year before we just got to what I would call the dog stage. And the dog stage is where you understand everything, but you still can't communicate. You can make noises and kind of point in the direction of what you're talking about, but uh, again, it's, it can, it's humbling, but you know, <clears throat> and then uh, I, what I would always tell the Russians is that uh, English is so much easier than Russian because I learned English when I was two. And unless you've studied a foreign language, you'll well, maybe not get the joke of that. But uh, anyway, bless you, Lord. Man, it does use a portion of my brain that I'm not used to it using. <clears throat> I learned that there are two uh, portions of your brain. And one uh, gives you the ability to understand, and one gives you the ability to speak. So with language, there's the understanding portion, and then there's the speaking portion. And so that's why you can understand but not be able to speak or um, like I can be super understanding but might get tongue-tied. When you're translating, you're using both of them and it's it just, yeah, it affects my brain. Ah, oh, bless you, Lord. Okay. So let me go on now. So I wanted to uh, talk about, we're going to be having baptisms coming up. And so we're going to be setting some date, but I need to know who is desiring to be baptized. So if you have a desire to be baptized, uh, I need you to, to let me know, either text me, call me, email me, or just come up and, and give me that word so that we can begin to plan and set up the service for our baptismal service. This is a little hot for, yeah. Okay. Before we jump into the word, I did want to give you a, a couple jokes. Uh, I apologize beforehand. This joke may or may not translate, Ruslan. <clears throat> Just letting you know. <laughs> These are one of my favorites. So uh, I don't know if you heard or not, but the CEO of IKEA was elected the prime minister of Sweden. He's currently assembling his cabinet. This one's okay. A couple of these are plays on English words, so. I started telling people uh, about the benefits of dried grapes. Do you know how beneficial they are? And it's, to me, it's all about raising awareness. <laughs> and last but not least, I thought this one was uh, fun. So this frantic young guy calls out a mayday from, from the airplane, grabs a hold of the phone, he's, mayday, mayday, my pilot has had a heart attack, he's died, and I don't know how to fly the plane. Suddenly a voice comes over the radio, this is air traffic control, I hear you loud and clear, I'm going to talk you through this, we're going to get you on the ground, I want you to be confident, everything will be fine, so tell me, what is your height and your position? The guy looks and says, well, I'm 5'10", and I'm sitting in the pilot seat. <laughs> After a long pause of silence, air traffic control comes back on and says, okay, now repeat after me. Our Father, which art in heaven. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> mm, bless the Lord. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of uh, Matthew chapter 12, I want to get into the word with you this morning. I believe I have a timely word for you. I love when we are kind of on the same page and uh, we're in the same vein as ministers. The Lord had been speaking to me all morning about... Uh, 
uh, how he wanted to talk to each of us individually to give us a fresh word about who we are and what he wants to do in our life, and that we needed to make sure we took time to listen to him today so that he could give us that word. I didn't share this with David, and then David came up and led basically in the same altar call about how the Lord wanted to speak to us. So to me, that doubly emphasizes it for us today. Be sure you take time aside, like David said at the very end there, take time aside and hear the Lord. Because when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, when you have a word from the Lord, you can withstand any kind of problem or crisis that comes toward you. Learning about who Jesus is in the midst of a crisis is extremely difficult. It's much better to learn about who he is and then walk into the crisis knowing who he is in the crisis. That is where we need to uh, live out of and, and uh, walk in our faith out of knowing him in the midst of the storm. So I encourage you to do that. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We thank you for speaking to our hearts individually, Holy Spirit. We know that you are uh, present here, that you fill our hearts, Lord, and that you desire to give us revelation about Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to each of us individually today, Lord. Give us fresh revelation, a fresh word about Jesus today, Lord. Help us to uh, hear and to see him closer today, Father. I thank you, Lord, for it. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter 12. You'll probably be familiar with this, but let me go over this with you. Beginning with verse 1. At that time, at that Kairos moment, here Jesus is making a point. So at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields, and it was on the Sabbath day. Now, you remember the Sabbath is a day set aside where you sit, you don't work, and you rest and concentrate on God. Okay? We're called into a Sabbath rest, a lifestyle devoted to the Lord Jesus, not just one day. The Sabbath rest that he has for us is a lifestyle, not just one day, okay? This was one day, and he was walking with the disciples, and his poor guys, his disciples, they're hungry, and they began to pluck the heads of the grain and to eat them. When the Pharisees saw it, so the Pharisees weren't home resting, they decided to go out and see if they could catch Jesus in something. And so they, when they saw it, they said to Jesus, hey, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. God forbid, they're breaking the law. And he said to them, Jesus did, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Basically, he's giving them two examples from the word that is contrary to their own argument. How David broke the law and that the, the Sabbath, the priest work on the Sabbath. Like myself, Sunday is a work day for me. And I'm working instead of resting before the Lord like we're all supposed to do. I'm working on Sunday. So, but I'm guiltless in that is what his example is. He said, you work as a Pharisee. You work on, on the Sabbath every single time, but you're guiltless. And then in verse 7, and if, if you had known, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. Uh, verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple parade? Okay, let them. Verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Because you don't understand mercy, you are condemning those who do not deserve the guilt. You're putting shame on people who don't deserve to be shamed. 
because you do not understand mercy. You are honoring or, or elevating the sacrifice above mercy. Verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am greater than the Sabbath, so don't lift up and idolize the Sabbath greater than me. Now, we, of course, we all know this, and it's all good and stuff, but I want to get very practical to how we do this on a regular basis and how we can uh, stop doing it. The Lord has called us as a body, and I think it might be a greater than just our body, but he's been speaking to us over the last probably eight months about coming into his rest. It's been a word that he's been hitting leadership for a number of months, and we've brought it up several times on Sunday morning. Hopefully, this is not a, a new subject to you that I've brought it up enough that it rings to uh, your ears, but he's speaking to us about coming into his rest as we are just finishing six months of this year, we're, this month will be done with six months, we're going to have six more months where we can practice rest. The greatest thing that keeps us from entering rest, I think, is trust. Resting is, I'm not going to worry about it, I'm not concerned uh, I am fully trusting that it's taken care of. But if I don't have trust in the Lord in an area, I am not going to rest. I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure it's taken care of. And so when Jesus says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, it's beyond just don't get upset with these guys because they're eating on the Sabbath. It gets down to really the nitty-gritty of our heart of do we trust the Lord and are we fully resting in what he has for us or we, out of our own pain, fight to uh, make sure what we want happens and we fight against the Lord. The Pharisees got it all down because they wanted to be able to control it. They wanted to be able to say, okay, here's the box. There are very clear lines of who God is, and we want to make sure that if you're going to be with us, you're going to be within these lines. And Jesus says it is about a relationship with him and not do's and don'ts. Because how many know you can do all the do's and don'ts but lack the relationship? The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's put it in the right place. I've come to realize that when there is pain in our lives, there are different ways that we react to pain, the way we deal with it. And I found this really cool list, and I, I kind of want to go over it just real fast. Ways that people react from the pain in their heart. There's uh, seven things here. It's by uh, Chris Volatin. Uh, he said, blaming other el everyone else for our troubles. When there's pain in our heart, we have a tendency to blame others. Another way people react or deal with the pain is we avoid people who are in trouble, crisis, or pain. I've got enough pain in my own heart, so I'm not going to deal with anybody. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. We keep a shield over our heart and live out of our intellect so we don't have to feel life. I don't want to go there. I'm not going to allow my heart to go there. I'm just going to elevate up into my intellect and not deal with the pain. There's a lot of deep stuff here. Number four is we stay angry. I've added to that I think people deal with pain by staying angry and sometimes go into violence. And I think we have a, uh, an abundant resurgence of violence in our nation because of pain in people's lives that aren't surrendered to Jesus. Jesus isn't allowed to heal the pain. They have no idea how to take care of the pain. There's not proper resources. And we've, uh, as a culture, we have pushed the church down and denigrated the church to the place where 
you can't run to the church. And so all of the answers that society is offering to take care of the pain in our heart aren't working. And so the people turn to violence. Because if I'm going to be in pain, you're going to be in pain too. Some people, number five, live in a fantasy world where they refuse to acknowledge the reality of the pain. It's not there. And that just creates more and more walls, and we just cut people off more and more and more and more and more. Anytime it gets a little real, well, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore because that'll force me to deal with the fact that I have pain in my heart. A lot of these are very subtle. Number six, he says, is sleeping all of the time. Trying to sleep through the pain instead of dealing with it. it I'm just going to take a nap. I'm just going to sleep. Uh, I'm too exhausted to t- take care of the pain. Number seven is probably the one that we see the most common uh, that is walked out and everyone sees that it's walked out. That's when they medicate themselves with drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, religion, or anything else that tries to drown out the pain. But none of that takes care of the pain. Jesus is the only one who can go in and heal the heart. And when Jesus heals the heart, the pain is gone. So this, this week I had, a, uh, I had a dream. It was, a, it was an odd dream. I didn't even have a chance to share it with Jill. And it was, a, it was me dealing with my uh, childhood friend and just an interaction that I had with him. He was probably my closest friend all through grade school, all the way up to the point I got saved. And when I got saved, I got on fire for the Lord. I was excited for the Lord just very active in my faith. He was not on fire for the Lord. And I drew a hard line and said, either you, um, I think it was about music. I I had given up all secular music and I was listening to only Christian music at the time. And I said, either you stop listening to secular music or I can't be your friend anymore. I rejected him. And at the time I used a religious excuse to justify what was going on in my heart. And I haven't, I, you know, most of my 20s I prayed for him because I realized I had been an idiot. And, uh, you know, and, and just asked the Lord to heal that area of his heart where I had rejected him. And just as a believer, here's a believer showing Jesus and rejecting you. Just a dumb, dumb, dumb thing to do. And so I, through most of my 20s, but I'm in my 50s now. And so I haven't thought about it in a while. And I had this dream, and he was in the dream, big portion of the dream. And so I was just meditating with the Lord going, okay, Lord, what is it? And, you know, my dad passed away in, in February, and my mom passed away last year. So I've been also dealing with childhood uh, stuff. Just think things are bubbling up, and you're thinking about it. And I realized that I really wanted my dad's love. I really wanted my dad's acceptance as the last son, but dad was working all the time. So it's not that he didn't love me. It's just that it didn't work out in our lives for me to have that need met. You know, he was, we have, I'm number six of seven and just life is hard. And so I never got that, even though I'm sure he would have wanted to. I'm not trying to speak ill of my dad at all. My dad was a great guy, a man of faith, loved the Lord. So I didn't have that need met. So I grew up wanting that. And then when I became friends with my elementary school friend, I really was, he met that need in my life because he accepted me and we were good friends, even though he was the sportsy guy and I was the goofy guy, you know, but he met because he accepted me. I realized that. Then when I found Jesus, I was like, I can't handle this anymore because I found Jesus, but I still love this guy and I know he loves me but I can't handle this friendship anymore and I don't know what to do with it. So I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to protect my heart because he's going to end up rejecting me because I'm a believer now. And I went through this whole period where I was persecuted for my faith, you know, cause I was, I was a goofy, passionate, uh, un, un what? untrained war horse in my high school. So I made as many problems as I blessed with my faith, you know. And I knew it would come to that. So to protect my heart from being hurt because my heart was already hurt, I pushed him away. So I caused pain to protect myself. 
And I just realized that this week at 50 years old, looking back at when I was 15 and going, wow, dang, Lord, I wish I had understood this when I was 15 in a healthy enough way to be able to walk this out. It would have changed my life in a bunch of ways. So I received the Lord's forgiveness. I repented for uh, not uh, trusting that the Lord, and I welcomed the Lord into that area of my heart and said, Lord, uh, I know that you're pleased with me. You've said that to me. I trust you in that. I welcome you into that area of pain, and I'm moving on. I'm not going to let it influence me anymore. Up until that point, I could not enter the, the area of rest in the Lord in that area because I had to work to receive the pleasure of the Lord. And so looking back over my life, there was a lot of times that I did things trying to gain my father's approval, my father's approval, when I already had my father's approval, just the area of pain in my heart kept me from resting in the Lord. I was just like this Pharisee guy. I was doing religious duty in hopes that I would bring, re, uh, reach righteousness, reach a right standing with my father. When I already had the right standing in Jesus, I just didn't acknowledge it because of the pain in my heart. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm trying to make my Sabbath in ways that I feel safe instead of just allowing him into the area of pain and being able to receive it. Jesus is more than capable of healing these areas of pain in our heart. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. We can't walk in rest until we walk in trust. Trust and rest are synonymous. And so if there's striving, if there's a lack of rest, if there's a lack of I can't sit still before you, Lord, it's because there's pain in our heart that we're not wanting to face. And the Lord says, I want you to face this and bring this to me. You can see this as well in another interaction that Jesus has. In the book of John chapter 11, when his good friend Lazarus died. You can see some of these pain things here. You know, Jesus had received news that, that he was sick. Jesus said, I need to wait a couple days because there's things that need to happen. And then he heads off and he arrives. Lazarus has already been dead and has been in the tomb for four days. And he gets there to Bethany and Martha comes out. And it says here in uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now their hearts are full of pain now. And they're disappointed in the Lord. And Mary's like, I can't deal with Jesus right now. I'm going to stay here until I'm ready. Martha, who is uh, more of the uh, just in your face, I'm going to tell you what's just this, that type of personality. You see it earlier where she went to Jesus and said, you need to tell her to get off her butt and get to busy because I'm doing all the work and she's not doing anything. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, you know, really, it's okay to sit here with me. But Martha comes right out. And what does Martha say? Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that can be taken a couple ways. That can be taken of a, oh darn it, or that can be taken as an accusation. I would assume there's some accusation in there. Because I, like Martha's like the rest of us, she's not going to walk as a saint all the time. And in the midst of her pain, she lashes out at Jesus Man, if you had answered my prayer, this would not have happened. Why am I going through this? There's pain in her heart, and she's dealing with her pain, but she is taking it directly to Jesus. 
Notice Jesus isn't scared off by her pain. Jesus speaks directly to her, and he does the same thing to Mary when Mary comes. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Of course, Martha's faith isn't there. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection. That's the same thing he says back where he says, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mary comes a little bit later on, just uh, down a little bit further, and she says the exact same thing, verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, where'd you put him? Let's go take care of this. When we are really wanting to come into rest, we're going to have to deal with the areas of our heart that keep us from truly resting with the Lord. Rest is a place where we trust his abundance, we trust his faithfulness, we trust his authority, we trust his power, we trust his love, we trust his mercy, we trust his grace. That is where rest is. It isn't just sitting at home listening to worship music. A place of rest where he has called us into Sabbath is a lifestyle that we grow closer and closer to Jesus and where we truly trust him so that when the crises come, we stand and walk through the crisis without losing our faith. And I'm not talking about your total faith. I'm talking about your faith in the Lord in that area. When you lose your job, you don't go, well, jeepers. Man, why do bad things always happen to me? The washing machine breaks down. I remember a time period in our life where things would break down, and my immediate response was, why are you so mad at me, God? Where am I going to come up with the $500 for this washing machine? Why do bad things always happen to me? Why is it a continual bam, 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 bam? Because my attitude was not a place of rest. I didn't trust the Lord in that area. I believed he was not sufficient. I believed I was wrong. I had areas that he was mad at. When I moved into the place of, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to receive your grace. I'm going to receive your forgiveness. I'm going to receive your provision. And I'm going to bless you and trust you that you are able to provide. Now when things break down, I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't know how we're going to get this fixed, but we'll get it fixed. I trust you, Lord. I rest in that area now. The water heater still needs to be fixed, but it'll get done. I trust in the Lord. That is the place of rest. When there's disagreements with your spouse, when there's disagreements with your kids, when there's disagreements with your friends, does it total rattle your faith? God, why are you doing this to me? Or do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want to work through this and I want to grow. I'm going to rest in you that you're going to teach me and make me into a better husband, father, friend, whatever's needed, coworker. I'm going to rest in you. So that when the crisis come, I can remain in the boat and just lay down next to Jesus. Not get all freaked out. Jesus, we're dying, we're dying, we're dying. He's like, peace be still, dudes. I'm going back to bed. So I have three questions for you. The first one deals with trust. And I think if we ask ourselves in the middle of the problem, is God able, is the question, is God able? When those feelings come in and you begin to uh, get rattled by the situation, asking yourself, is God able? 
Is God able to help in this situation? Is God able, able to provide? Does God, is God able to take care of me? Is God able to help me uh, get through this argument with my spouse? Is, this, is God able to di- help me when this difficult situation at work? Is God able? That's number one. Do I trust in the Lord? Or is this something I need to solve? And God, I don't need you. I'll take care of this. Areas of pain will automatically cause us to go, God, I got this. You weren't faithful back then, so I don't know if you're able to now. And that leads me to question number two. Am I holding on to perceived failures of God in the past? Am I holding on to perceived failures of God in the past? And I say perceived for a reason. Because God doesn't fail. It may not fit out in the box the way I wanted or planned it or thought it needed to happen. But God doesn't fail. And I've learned to trust in his goodness even when I don't understand. And if I look for his goodness and trust in his goodness, I will see his goodness. Yes and amen. And then the third question is, must I keep myself safe? Must I keep myself safe? And that's where we control the situation because of past pain. We put up our walls. We don't tithe. We don't give. Not necessarily tithe, but we don't give. We don't invite people over. We don't keep going to that church or that small group. We don't read our Bible. We don't pray for this or for that. Do I have to protect myself or do I need to take this pain to the Lord? You know, we all go through pain. Jesus said in uh, the book of uh, John, God bless him, said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So if we're trying to have a safe place where we will never experience tribulation, we're actually countering Jesus. Even though it's difficult like crazy, it is an opportunity for us to allow Jesus to strengthen us in this situation to be a light. We want to be a light by having an international ministry or an international business or you you understand what I mean? We just want to have all the glow, be the light up on the mountaintop and just shine, no problems. But actually he's called us to be the light down in the darkest valleys. Sometimes in very difficult situations. Light in your family when your family isn't good. Light where you work when your coworkers don't want God. Light where you go to school, where everybody is very worldly. Light in the midst of difficult situations. But that's where the light shines. That's where the grace of God is felt. That's where lives are changed. That's where, honestly, it gets fun to see the movement of the Lord and to see lives changed. When Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he isn't just talking about a day of the week that we set aside and get churchy. Let me repeat that just to make sure that you heard that. When Jesus said... He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not talking about just the day that we set aside and get churchy. He's talking about a lifestyle of trust in him where we can rest. And so where is that area right now where you are not resting? What is that area right now that you are having to fight for yourself or fight for something you believe in without the help of the Lord? where you're trying to work it out and figure it out and make it happen 
because God hasn't been faithful, hasn't worked at the speed you want him to, hasn't been able, whatever that is, what is that area right now where you are not resting because you're not in your Sabbath and the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath? He's not the Lord of doing it all on your own so that you can make yourself and have, finally have success because he hasn't been faithful. The Lord of the Sabbath. So he's inviting you in this morning to say, hey, Lord, I'm going to give this area to you. And even though it may come out of an area of pain, reveal to me the area of pain so that I can give this pain to you and be healed and not live this over and over and over and over and over again in my life. I don't know, Pastor. This is the 34th church I've been to. And I don't know, they just all get mad at me and reject me after about six months. Well, they don't, but I hear the Lord and he tells me to move on. Funny, but I hear that. Well, you've probably been hurt by church people and you're letting that pain and then someone pushes that button and then, whoop, not going there. Instead of, I've got to deal with this pain, I've got to learn to forgive and get past this. Otherwise, I'm going to have no fellowship, no community, no life in the body. I'm, not, I'm going to forsake the assembling of the brethren because of somebody who was churchy and was religious and walking out their own pain. They were putting their pain on me and I received it. You know, you don't have to receive other people's pains. They can be complete jerks and jerks to you, and treat you bad, and treat you unrighteously, and treat you unjustly, but you don't have to receive that pain. You can take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you, and I'm receiving from you your love for this person. The cashier at Walmart growls at you, you can still smile back. You don't have to receive that and pass that pain on. We see mass shootings because that's somebody who has taken pain, received pain, and they've just said, you know what, I'm just going to pass this pain on. Whether it was the, the neo-Nazi who killed the black people simply because they were black, which is ridiculous, or the guy, the 18-year-old the, the, the kid struggling with his identity and his gender goes into the school and kid, kills 19 little kids. Or the... the convicted convict that just killed a whole family of five in Texas or in Chicago on the streets, all the people that get gunned down every day. I mean, that's just people with pain that are passing it on instead of it going to Jesus. Well, if we're going to be a difference, we're going to have to walk out and be that light where we're refusing to pass on our pain. We're taking our pain to Jesus and we're learning to walk in the Sabbath. Yeah, that is a good place to clap. Amen. It's true, because Jesus it is the answer. It begins with us. We're the church. Used to always say, Coca-Cola is not going to preach the gospel. It's the church's job. And that isn't just being churchy. That means going out and really living like Jesus. Resting in the Sabbath and letting him be Lord. Finding his strength. Not letting the devil push your buttons. So if you have an area today that you want to surrender to the Lord and you want to say, Lord, uh, I recognize I'm not resting in this area, but I want to learn to rest. I'd like you to stand. I want to pray for you. And if you already recognize it's an area of pain, we're going to give that to the Lord. If you don't know if it's an area of pain, we're going to ask the Lord to give you a revelation and speak to you about where the root is of this. Because I tell you, you get revelation on the root, man, everything else falls away. So Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, we desire to rest in you, Lord Jesus, because you are all sufficient. Lord, you left the riches of heaven and took on our poverty so that we through you might be rich, Lord. Rich in love, rich in peace, rich in joy, rich in patience, rich in kindness, rich in goodness. Everything that you possess, Lord Jesus, we want to be rich in. So, Father, this area where right now, Lord, we just want to be honest with you. We've got areas of pain in our heart, 
And Lord, areas where we just don't really trust you, where we're trying to do it on our own. Father, I ask you to forgive us and to reveal to us first and foremost where the area of pain is so that we can talk to you about it and allow you into that area, Lord. We want to come into the rest that you have for us, Lord Jesus, the area where we're struggling right now. We want to come into your rest. So, Father, give us, Lord, that word. Speak to us that word of who you are and who we are in you, in that area. If it's in our marriages, Lord, give us your eyes for our spouses. If it's in our relationships, give us your eyes for that other person. If it's in our finances, Lord, give us your eyes for your provision, how you see it, Lord. Whatever the area is, Father, let us have your eyes. Let us not live in the pain, but live in your rest, Lord. Thank you, Father, for it, for your abundant ability to provide. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for coming this morning. Be blessed. Rest in the Lord this year. And may he just give you abundant a revelation of him. Amen and amen. God bless you. Sbogum.